people know about me and they see all the success I have and, uh, you know, being talked about in books and on keynotes on stage and whatnot. And they hear who I am and they get into my story and they automatically think, wow, Pat has everything. He didn't have to struggle at all. When, of course, when you go read, let go, you see that there was a ton of struggle. I'm curious as to how can I stay somewhat accessible and somewhat, you know, more on the level of my audience in terms of, you know, how I'm just a person like them just a few steps ahead. And right now I'm 34. That made me realize that I'm actually just getting started. Hyperlink is hyperlink. 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 Connection. Hey, everybody. I'm Matt Gartland, and welcome to another exciting episode of Hyperlink Radio. And it's particularly exciting today for, for me and hopefully for you in that we are welcoming Pat Flynn to the show. Pat is the creator of Smart Passive Income, smartpassiveincome.com. He has been a friend, a business partner, and even a client of Winning Edits for a great many years now. And in the first issue of Hyperlink Magazine, we take you behind the scenes with Pat on his brand and how he got his start for those that may not know him, he has a really interesting origin story that actually has its roots in the, the Great Recession, like a lot of us um, experienced in one way, shape, or form. And what we dig into today as we continue to kind of explore the intersection of culture and commerce is how someone that has such great passion and vision for helping others can, can really take a moment of extreme adversity uh, like Pat was faced and transform it into something so tremendously positive, so tremendously valuable, that it sticks, it works, there's traction. He begins to actually make impact. He begins to, uh, I dare say, maybe create a movement. Uh, and he definitely has, in my opinion, uh, and not only because I am his friend and his business partner, uh, and we have the pleasure of working uh, in a services capacity with Pat, uh, but if you look at the quality of his work, what he's been putting out for almost a decade, it's really inspiring. It's It's really... It's really motivating for other creators that are getting into this space either for themselves and are working on personal brands or that might be working for other brands, maybe as a brand manager or as a marketing manager, uh, whether it's in retail or whether it's in a commercial product of, of some kind. So, so we go through the origin story uh, a little bit and profile that in the magazine. And in the episode today uh, that, that you're about to hear with Pat, we extend upon that. Uh, because it's not all kind of sunshine and rainbows when you are the face of a brand, when you are pioneering the brand, and when that brand is in every way kind of centered upon you as a human, uh, at least at the start. Pat's approaching 10 years uh, into this journey. I got to know Pat and began working with Pat about five years into that journey with the first incarnation of Let Go. Uh, that is his memoir uh, that's available on Amazon and was about the five-year mark of sort of commemorating uh, you know, the first five years of Smart Passive Income and, and his journey. Uh, we just recently helped Pat produce and publish Let Go, the expanded edition. We talk a little bit about that uh, in the episode today as an abridged version on what has really happened with him, his mindset as a business owner, his, his growth as a social influencer, 
you know, what's happened since then. And then from that momentum, kind of what's next? Uh, and there's big questions, you know, when you start to reach a certain altitude of, of reach with an audience, when people are paying attention to you, when you are something in the public eye, uh, you know, there's, there's tension there, uh, or at least there can be, there's, there's higher stakes. So, so how does Pat kind of wrestle with big strategic questions about what's next? How does he potentially define success for himself and potentially in relation to some of his contemporaries and, and mentors that are, are accomplishing big and, and amazing things? Uh, it's a really in-depth interview. It's, it's a little bit even vulnerable, uh, but it's, it's wonderful to have someone that is as inspiring, as candid, as, as transparent as Pat to, to talk about these subjects. And to be, I think, uh, sort of an ambassador at large for you know what brands can be and should be through engagement uh, with their audience, with their fans, you know, in this increasingly interconnected society uh, that we all live in. So, without further ado, it is my great pleasure to welcome Pat Flynn to the show. Hey, thanks for having me, Matt. It is September 2017, which is bananas on a lot of levels, uh, but not the least of which is we've been working together for basically five years, almost exactly five years. Uh, and the first project together was the the original Let Go book. So congrats on the second edition, uh, which just came out, hit a couple uh, really big number one Amazon categories. Um, so I'm, I'm interested just to kind of dig in on that, which is, my goodness, uh, the first book was in in sort of commemoration of of five years of you being let go. And then now we've just come out with this next one, which is almost like the next five years. What in the heck has surprised you the most sort of in that latter five years, you know, between the first let go book and now? Yeah, you know, it's interesting. It's actually very poetic the way everything came together because the first five years of my entrepreneurial journey, when you look back, are very different than the next five years. And to kind of recap all that has changed since the first version of let go and to kind of summarize everything, it was it was hard because so many things have happened. But it was also easy because I saw very notable, noticeable changes in the way that I approached my business and my life that had a direct impact on how much I've been able to continue to grow. And it was interesting because when I thought about a lot of the things that led up to those things, um, a lot of it was, again, similar to the very first five years of my business journey, a lot of challenges, a lot of fears, a lot of mental barriers that I had to overcome, a lot of new things that I had to let go. And you know, the big lesson there is, as you continue to expand, as you continue to grow your business, as you continue to explore new things in life, you're always going to continue to have to let go of something in order to continue to go. It's almost like that quote, I, I can't remember the quote, but it's something to the sorts of, you know, in order to cross the ocean, you have to leave the shore. You have to let go of where you were. You have to be somebody different. And it doesn't mean you have to uh, change everything, but in a kind of, kind of in a way you, you do. And, you know, the nice way to phrase this would be to say that what got you here won't get you there. And I'm just really, really excited to have worked with you again to work on that second edition. And it was just kind of a, you know, 10 years later, I mean, almost 10 years later in this full journey, I mean, nine years, really, uh, it's just been amazing. And, you know, it was a nice way to kind of reintroduce the story to people who have heard it, but then didn't realize all the other challenges that I faced since 2013. But also a lot of people downloaded Let Go for the first time. It became a great way to reintroduce my story to people who have just found me because I continue to grow and expand and people know about me and they see all the success I have and, uh, you know, being talked about in books and on keynotes on stage and whatnot. And they hear who I am and they get into my story and they automatically think, 
wow, Pat has everything. He has like he, he didn't have to struggle at all. When of course, when you go read Let Go, you see that there was a ton of struggle. And I think what I love about this story uh, is how relatable it is, and how even though I'm at this very successful point in my life right now, um, it almost makes me come back down to earth. Um, but at the same time, it also realizes how far. I've come and also how much further I could go. Yeah, that's excellent. Uh, for anyone that's listening to the show that maybe hasn't for some reason interacted with your story, uh, the the super high-level version uh, you guys can find in uh, our first issue of Hyperlink Magazine uh, where we profiled, Pat, obviously you and the brand. Uh, thanks for making an appearance there. Um, but highly encourage uh, everyone to consider the, the books themselves, as you're saying, Let Go is a, an honor to be a part of really both publications. Uh, the second edition is phenomenal. Uh, explore some some new territory, you know, really take some new ground there. And, you know, one thing that you said uh, in your in your remarks just now is I, I think really important, uh, and I want to kind of explore it, which is, you know, kind of the next set of fears that you ha- were sort of challenged to, to let go from. And I wonder, Pat, like how much of that was potentially a fear of losing touch? Because you have, you are so relatable. Your story is so relatable, uh, and you like relating to other people. Your engagement is so high, you know, with your audience. And yet, now it's such a scale, you know, through all the channels uh, that you're a part of, uh, online and offline. Like, how how do you go about, even just emotionally as a human, like grappling with, okay, you you love being so engaged, and yet at this scale, maybe you, maybe you can't be so engaged anymore. You can't. I mean, I remember back in 2012, for example, um, in 2013, even 2014, I mean, for emails specifically, I was getting 500 emails a day. And I felt so terrible because as these emails were coming in, I knew that every one of them I wouldn't be able to get to. And I just felt like I was letting people down and letting myself down, letting the brand down in terms of its reputation of always being there. Because in the beginning, what really helped was really standing up and saying, okay, I'm going to interact with every single person who comes across my site. People who comment, I'm going to reply back. People who share a message on social media, I'm going to reply back. People who send me an email, I'm going to respond. And not only am I going to respond, I'm going to respond very quickly. And that did a lot in the beginning to help me stand out from everybody else out there who is fighting for all these people's attention. And it really helped me place my mark in this space. But as a, it, I don't know what the number is or at, at what point in terms of date, but at some point, I crossed that barrier where it just became unmanageable. And it was tough. I It was very much a mental struggle. It made me wonder if I was maybe growing too fast. It made me wonder if I was going down the right path. It made, also made me, uh, you know, go through a set of, you know, imposter syndrome uh, moments where I just, am I really qualified to do this? How can other people do it? And how come I cannot, you know, all those kinds of things. And the thing is, I just didn't know. I've never experienced this place before. And so I had to ask around and I have to thank people who were in mastermind groups with me and a lot of, you know, other people out there who had shared their wisdom along the way to say, you know, Pat, like you're at a point now where you have to grow up as a business owner and start to hire people. And initially that was very tough for me to hear because I wanted to be the solopreneur. I wanted to be just like my audience and my audience, most of the people who are in my audience aren't at that level where they can hire. So I felt like I was distancing myself from people, but I eventually realized after a few months of working with, uh, you know, we hired Jessica to uh, help me manage my emails and stay connected. I realized that it is because I'm hiring people, I'm now able to still stay more connected. And I'm at this, I'm just at that level now where I have to do that. But I still make an effort to reach out to people and have conversations with them one-on-one. I think that's the thing that I think 
that really helps make sure that I still stay in tune with my audience. Because it would have been very easy for me to say, all right, Jessica, you're just going to do all the correspondence, hire somebody else to do all the social media. But when I can, I make an effort to reply to people. When I can, I can't reply to everybody. And I make that expectation known up front. Because before the expectation was you will get a response and then I wasn't giving the response. So now I think people know I'm at a point where I cannot possibly respond, but I say I'll do my best. And when I do, it becomes a nice surprise. It becomes a, wow, Pat's going you know, above and beyond. Here, I'm, here I am interacting with him. Now, it's, it's very easy when I'm at conferences because I'm just there with people one-on-one. But in terms of email, in terms of social media, in terms of comments on the blog, um, you know, I try to make an effort to still be a part of that. One of those things that I do is I actually reach out to 10 random email subscribers and I try to get on a Skype call with them every single month. Not the same people every single month, but a different group of 10 people every single month. And yes, it's only 10 people out of an email list of nearly 200,000. What good could that possibly do? It does so much good because those people who I pick out are representing the whole. And yes, some of those conversations are very short because people are shy and, you know, it's funny because sometimes when I reach out and I get a response back, they think it's like an automated thing. Like, well, how could Pat possibly have the time to call me? Well, they just happen to be a a, a lucky draw, I guess. Um, And it's because I want to and it's only 10 people a month, but still. Um, And then some of those conversations go for an hour, an hour and a half. And I don't record them. They don't enter podcasts but they enter my brain in terms of what I can do better, what's working, what should I continue to do, what should I double down on. Um, I often use those conversations to tease or talk about upcoming projects just to get an initial you know, round of feedback on those things and to give them an early insight on what's coming next. And man, those conversations have been absolute gold. Those have led to many, many important decisions in the life of my brand and my business. And of course, because of that, my life as well. That's so cool. Uh, I don't know if I even fully appreciated <laughs> that you were doing that and so regularly. Um, I, I think that absolutely from my vantage point does help to keep you in touch for sure. Uh, I, I mean, and I'm curious, how have those conversations changed over time uh, in terms of the feedback you're getting in terms of the, the validation on, on the next concept in terms of maybe some of the challenges that are then presented to you? Well, I'll tell you first what hasn't changed. What hasn't changed is just how open people are to respond. Um, What has changed are the questions that I'm asking, and as a result, the kinds of answers that I'm getting. I think I've just grown up as an interviewer, as I've been interviewing hundreds of people on the podcast, and that has helped me with communication in general and sort of mining different things that I'm looking for. And so I've become a little bit more Aggressive is not the right word because it's not aggressive at all. All those conversations are very casual, but I think I've been more purposeful, if you will, in the kind of information I'm trying to get. And I always ask, you know, very similar questions such as, you know, how did you first find out about the blog or the podcast? And uh, what, what were some things that drew your attention to myself and the brand that you really liked? What were some things that really turned you off? You know, those kinds of things. But then, of course, as we get deeper into their answers and I, I do follow up questions, I can get into their story. And that's typically where I want to lead. And that's where I find the most difference. Now I'm taking the attention less off of me further down in those conversations and placing them more on who it is that I'm speaking to and what it is that they need. How can I better serve them? And that has uh, helped out a lot. I mean, few conversations where I talked about that I might actually come out with courses uh, definitely supported my team and myself and where we were going. 
in terms of coming out with courses, and they were very much a, a prime motivator for that. Um, so yeah, I mean, it's definitely changed in terms of the answers that I'm getting because I've just be- grown up a little bit in terms of you know the kinds of questions that I'm asking. Is that something that you have intentionally worked on in terms of skill development, uh, your interviewing skills? Uh, have you? You know, you're well networked with many other fantastic podcasters. Uh, I know that you really admire, you know, the the, the big league guys as as many of us do too. Uh, has it been, you know, really, you know, driven with skill development or almost just like natural with time and organic based on your space? Uh, you know, doing what you do with the podcasts. I mean, with anything, you're going to get better at it over time, but you'll get even better or more better, better er. <laughs> <laughs> um, you. It'll happen much faster and at a higher level if you are conscious about what it is you're looking to improve. And so I haven't done any formal interview training, if you will, but I have researched it. I have watched videos of, of, of famous interviewers and studied them uh, just kind of on my own. And that helps because when I study myself, and I do that, I do listen to, to my own episodes, I do sit back and I, I read the comments and I try to figure out you know, when people are asking questions, what could I have done to help answer that question during the interview? So I'm paying attention to the quality of the questions that are being asked and the quality of the answers and the comments of the audience after those questions have been answered. Um, so being conscious and also just with practice, you, you will ultimately always become better. Uh, and so I think, though, you know, if I had more time, I would definitely invest in something like an interview course or something where I could get personal training from somebody who is a great interviewer to understand what better questions might I ask. And then additional to that, I think another skill that I think um, is in a similar vein in terms of being conscious about it, studying it on my own, and just organically growing uh, in terms of skill level for this uh, would be storytelling, um, especially with the podcast. I mean, I've, I've noticed just how much better a podcast is when better stories are are told on it. And so my job as an interviewer, if I'm interviewing, is to have a person tell a great story and to be the one to, when they tell the surface level answer, to dig deeper to get the full story out of them. But also as somebody who also does a lot of solo shows, to tell stories and craft them in a way where it's just more than facts. It's actually bringing people who are listening on a journey. And those are the, those are the episodes of podcasts that I listen to that, seem to resonate the most are ones where I can almost place myself in that same situation because that person who's speaking does a great job of helping me visually understand where that person is and emotionally where that person is. Um, it just adds another level of flavor that just, you know, is unmatched. Absolutely. Uh, and the whole podcasting space, my goodness, has evolved and grown probably more than any of us would have thought, you know, five years ago or, or, or borderline 10, Pat. You know, it was when you, dead five years ago, and then it was dead four years ago. Everybody says yeah. everything is dead, right? Um, but no, I mean, as you're alluding to, it's just massively taking off right now. So it's amazing. And, and your, you know, SPI flagship show is, you know, I think, you know, kind of the, the seminal anchor point for the SPI brand. Uh, it remains just integral to w- where the whole community is going. It was one of the first big forays for yourself. Um, mm-hmm. You know, something of a really big uh, borderline early adopter in that space. So yeah, h- how are you then, yeah, reacting to yeah this groundswell now with, with podcasts? Who are you looking to? Like, for example, like I'm just addicted to Masters of Scale from uh, Reed Hoffman. That's his new show. Uh, all the Gimlet shows are amazing. Like w- when we, when you talk about 
story development and how the audio form for podcasting has evolved and people are now experimenting with it in different ways. Who do you look to to learn from? You know, it's interesting. It's tough because a lot of these bigger brands are coming in NPR and, you know, Gimlet started and they tell amazing stories and they have the audio engineering behind it to do that and add even another layer of flavor to what it is that they produce. And that's something that I've attempted to do in terms of the NPR storytelling, serial style, kind of journalism-ish stuff. Um, It's tough, man. Like, I mean, those guys have multiple team members who work on one single episode uh, to do that. And it's, it's amazing. I've, I remember episode 138, which is the one where I flew to Ohio. This is a landmark episode because not only because of the way it was produced with interviews from team members and, you know, background noise and background music. And, you know, it was kind of time shifted. It all wasn't recorded in one session, not at all. Um, But it was, it also was the time that you and I and Dusty and a few other uh, team members met in person, which was huge because a lot of big decisions were made. Um, for example, the that was sort of the origin of what w- later became my Wall Street Journal bestseller, Will It Fly? Um, so a lot That's of cool right. things happened on that trip. And I can, you know, always go back and I hear the noise. I hear the sounds of the street walking through Columbus. And, you know, I, I you know, remember like it just brings me there. Right. And that's something I would love to incorporate more of that kind of stuff into future episodes. But of course, it takes a little bit more effort to do that. Um, So I'm trying to distill, Okay, what is it about these episodes besides just the craft behind the way they put them together? Might I be able to add into my own episodes? And those are the kinds of things, like I said earlier, that I'm sort of studying. Um, But it's, it's, it's really fun. I think, you know, with with where we are now, I think I love hearing all of the new sort of fictional podcasts come out. Um, I think Serial, even though that wasn't fictional, inspired a lot of people who were really great at telling stories to come into the podcasting space and tell those stories and shape those stories and create fiction and create characters and develop those characters over a series of episodes. It's just really amazing how you can do that. Um, And I'm excited to see what else might come from it. Uh, And I love it because the more people who find those shows, the more people who are there to potentially find mine. I mean, that's why everybody loves Serial so much who's in the podcasting space. It's not because it put podcasting um, on the map, but it's because when that show put podcasting on the map, people started listening to not just Serial, but you could see that people were, you know, downloading and subscribing to multiple episodes. I mean, the average number of shows that people subscribe to is five. And that's like multiple episodes per per show. And so, you know, if these fiction ones are, you know, four and then mine's the only nonfiction one. I mean, that's awesome. And so that's kind of what I'm looking forward to is just more of the general uh, content consumer getting into podcasting to discover uh, my show and other shows and just, you know, so I can build a deeper relationship with them and help them out. That's awesome. Uh, as, as a big theme here, you know, I'm excited. I'm grateful for you and, and folks like you that continue to kind of have this level up uh, mentality that, you're you're still students of the art forms that you're participating in. Uh, you remain humble. You're you you seek out opportunities for feedback, you know, and, and learn and, and grow. And then you know other folks in your community, uh, other contemporaries can can learn from that. Uh, I, I look at you know folks like Gary Vaynerchuk, Tim Ferriss, two hallmark examples that have done tremendously well. And and growth for everyone is different and should be different. Uh, everyone's definition of success, you know, should be personal, right? 
Um, so I, I look at what Gary and, and Tim have done. Gary has a tremendously successful uh, and I think pretty large uh, media company, um, uh, VaynerMedia, Vayner right? Uh, Tim, I actually just discovered the other day, he has a new television show. I think it's called Fearless with Tim Ferriss. Um, it's on a couple major, uh, I think, cable network channels. Uh, and those guys are just like, you know, huge now. When, when you think about next level for you, is it, is it at that level? I, I know that you know those guys a little bit and you seek uh, and, and gain inspiration from them. Uh, for you, for the SPI brand, where do you see that kind of growing? And does it mean massive media company? Does it mean television shows? What does it mean for you? No, that, that's not an, uh, of interest to me. Um, I feel like when you get to that level, it can be difficult to develop these really deep relationships with people like you can online, you, like you can through you know, the channels that I currently have, um, it, you know, mass media, TV, those kinds of things. I mean, as, you know, as great as they are for, you know, putting on your resume, um, to me, that's not just, uh, it, it just doesn't excite me very much. It's not anything I really am aiming to do. I would love to get a book in everybody's hand. Um, and I would love to have people listen to my podcast. I'd love to have people come into my course offerings and come into my free content to help them out. I mean, what I'm looking for is I want more success stories. And I think that as other people perhaps are looking to get more people to find them, um, you know, obviously I would love more people to find me too. I also want to look to how can I better serve those who have already found me and not to discredit Gary or Tim, um, but, but they are very inaccessible. Um, and I'm curious as to how can I stay somewhat accessible and somewhat, you know, more on the level of my audience in terms of, you know, how I'm just just a, just a person like them, just a few steps ahead. Um, I think that allows me to become kind of a, a better leader for them and a better example um, and hopefully more inspirational, and motivational, too. That's really great. Uh, I mean, to, to know that even already is I mean, the, the self-awareness and, and the self-reflection I'd, I'd presume you'd, you'd have to already have gone through, right, to kind of to kind of reach a bit of that conclusion and have confidence in it, right? Rather than just always be potentially chasing, you know, the next hill, you don't always, you know, need to be there. So no, that's, that's wonderful to hear. And maybe kind of just sets up the, the last little thing to explore and certainly don't reveal anything that you don't want to reveal yet. Um, but it, you know, it's this concept of legacy, right? It's like, where, where do you want to go? Um, and I know just from some private conversations with you, you know, over the last couple of years that, that the theme of legacy is becoming potentially a bit more real for you. So how has that even evolved in the last year as you were working through, you know, the latest let go version and, and, mo and most recently, maybe even through the last summer? You know, well, I think the biggest thing is just I continual I'm, I, I'm continually surprising myself at the impact that I make. And it's hard because when you're at home recording your podcast, you're just here by yourself recording and, you know, you don't see the people on the other end who you are making a difference for. And, you know, you get some emails and, you know, I, I'm very fortunate to get a lot of them and I'm very fortunate to get handwritten letters in the mail and that fires me up like nothing else. But I also know that it only represents a small percentage of those who I can have an impact on. And with my user base, with my audience, with the influence that I have, the trust that I built with them over time, I mean, I have amazing power to potentially make movements of different kinds. But I also know that power comes with much responsibility. And I'm always going to be conscious about that too. So when talking about legacy, it makes me wonder, well, what do I want written in my own biography? I've been reading a lot of biographies lately. 
And that's like a question that I love to ask myself. I love to ask that to other people too. Like, what do you want written in your biography? And the cool thing is like, one of my favorite ones I've read recently was ben, Benjamin Franklin's. And I remember reading it and I was 60 pages in of this like 700 page book. And at that point he was like 40 years old. The rest of the book was were, was going to represent all of the major accomplishments in his life after the age of 40. And right now I'm 34. And I have, I, I like that made me realize that I'm actually just getting started. And so it made me think about that. Well, what would I want my, you know, uh, 630 pages or 640 pages to be about um, after the age of 40? And I'm starting to get really involved with my kids. And they're at this really amazing school that has taught them things in ways that I never knew could exist in schools. They, they're at a STEM school here in San Diego. And it's just amazing to see their development and to see how excited they are about school to go there every day. And it's just something that I want for all kids. And so what I feel like I'm meant to do is to use smart passive income as sort of a stepping stone up into the world of education and, and teaching entrepreneurship to kids and helping them develop these skills that can be very helpful in life, whether they become an entrepreneur or not, but to utilize those skills of mine and also the influence that I have to, to help out uh, kids, because I think that that would make the biggest impact that I could make in the future would be to, to, to set children in the right direction and help them think bigger and deeper because the, we all know the world's going to need it, right? And the world is changing. The world is advancing so quickly. And so we need to set our kids up for success and to help them understand, you know, the, the, the fact that, you know, failure is a part of the process and to learn how to communicate and to you know, learn how to manage money and, you know, all those kinds of things. Like that's, that's something that's really important to me. So I don't have at this point any specific plans, but that's because this is such a huge, huge thing to tackle. But I have started some pretty amazing relationships, especially in the San Diego area here with some influencers in the education space who are making some big, big things happen. Um, and I'm excited to start to kind of get my feet wet in that right now. That's fantastic. Congratulations. Uh, it, it's yeah. a trajectory, right? And in the perspective, the Ben Franklin perspective is uh, just remarkable um, and highly inspiring. And I need to go grab that off uh, Amazon myself probably and dig into that. So mm. um, Pat, thank you. Uh, this is fantastic and, and always a thrill to kind of dig more into, into your perspective on this stuff. So again, Pat, thank you so much for coming on the show today. Really appreciate it. Thank you. I appreciate it. Here at Winning Edits, we love the Oxford comma. It's like that quirky kid that you adore hanging out with because you just don't know what he or she is going to say next. The next statement out of their mouth could be boring and unmemorable and often is when used properly, but the statement could be downright hilarious and a never-ending joke if it's botched. Thankfully, the internet is a treasure trove of the latter, each instance a cautionary tale unto itself as to why the Oxford comma is important. Take this psychotic example. I like cooking my family and my pets. Naturally, you wouldn't say that. You would say that normally as, I like cooking my family and my pets. The comma adds the very important pauses into that statement, but when written without them, you get the former psychotic interpretation. 
That example comes from the BuzzFeed article, 15 Reasons You Should Definitely Use the Oxford Comma, and illustrates just how insane you sound when you disrespect the Oxford Comma. Like the unassuming kid on the playground who is secretly a black belt in karate, the Oxford Comma can seriously kick your butt if you don't watch out. So, become its friend. You will be glad you did. To get more of the behind the scenes on on SPI, on Pat, uh, definitely check out episode, or I'm sorry, issue number one of of Hyperlink Magazine. And then to go really deep, I highly encourage you to go to Amazon, Google for Let Go by Pat Flynn, Uh, go to smartpassiveincome.com for everything else that is Pat.